Let's pray together, church. Fathers, we come before you together this morning, breaking open your word for deep study. Lord, it is in the name of Jesus we ask for your spirit to awaken us to what is true and right and good. Father, give us clarity. Lord, help us know that our deepest joys are in you, our God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yesterday, I had a craving for some chicken fried rice. Anybody ever crave chicken fried rice? Well, I do. And we were driving around, and, uh, and when I got my chicken fried rice from P.F. Chang's, yesterday we were out Christmas shopping, and uh, I got two fortune cookies. And I brought them home, and, and Nate opened a fortune cookie. Well, he actually opened both of them and ate them. I'm going to read you Nate's fortune. Y'all ready? A new relationship is about to blossom. All right? All right? Now, um, I don't really believe in fortune cookies, but I thought it was ironic that a new relationship is about to blossom was the message that we got in a fortune cookie. Because... Today, I had planned on preaching and had worked on my message already on how we have a new relationship to many things in the Scripture. And I'm going to share with you from our reading this week from Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 as much as I can. And how it expresses that. Becoming a believer in Jesus Christ transforms our relationships to many different things. And I've got five things that are transformed by becoming a Christian, by being born again. Your relationship to something has changed. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to open up beginning in Romans 5. Now, let me let me preface this with Romans 5 through 8 is meat. It is some, some hard to comprehend stuff at times. So you don't have to comprehend everything to its fullest. My hope is that you will see some of the truths here that, that there is a, a change in the way that we relate to certain things. So we'll begin with Romans 5, beginning of verse 1. And the first one is we have a new relationship with God. A different relationship with God than we had. And Romans chapter 5 explains this very well. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, made right with God through faith, we have peace with God. We have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's the change. Let's keep reading about it. There is now peace with God. Through him, we have also obtained by faith, access into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of glory. Not only that, not only the rejoice of the hope of glory, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces, help me out, endurance, endurance, that endurance produces character, and character produces 
hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I continue in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But one of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of my favorite verses is, But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be, what? Saved Saved by him from what? I'm going to read that one more time because this is important. Much more shall we be, what? Saved by him from the wrath of God. We're going to get there. (laughs) The wheels are spinning. Verse 10, for if we were enemies... Sorry, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Whoo-wee! Now, that's good stuff, y'all. If you didn't catch it all, it's all right. Let's talk through a little bit of this. Uh, Because this is powerful stuff. This is a new relationship with God. Christianity is good news, right? 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 We talk about the gospel. And the gospel literally means what? Good news. And, And this is what the gospel means. The problem is, before we are born again... What did, what did this passage tell us we were in relationship to God? We were what to God? We were enemies to God. And what was on us? The wrath of God was on us. Look at verse 9. It says, we are saved from the wrath of God. Now, if you go back and you look at that verse, what I, what I repeated to you a couple of times is this. I want you to see something. You are saved by God from God. Do you see that? This is what grace is. You are saved by God from God. Now, some people think that, well, uh, we have to be saved from the devil or from sin. And the devil and the sin is not our greatest problem as a non-believer. Our greatest problem as a non-believer is whom? Is God. And if you're here today and you have not fled from the wrath of God, you have a lot to be concerned about. Because the being that created every star that was flung into outer space... The being that sustains you by putting breath into your lungs this very hour. The being that created the volcanoes and and those eruptions that are inconceivable. His wrath is upon you, sinner. That's the bad news. And it's not because... 
just because you're, you're not good enough, it's because there's something wrong with you. Deep down in your soul. And it needs a new life. But that's exactly what he says here. And, and what we'll read through is this. You have one hope of being delivered from God. And it is being delivered by God. By crying out, Jesus, save my soul. You can be saved from the wrath of the being that you can't hide from. Of the being who made you, who knows you, and knows your innermost thoughts. His demeanor towards you can change if you cry out by faith and say, save my soul. And verse 8 tells us God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is crazy. That the judge of all eternity would pay the price so we wouldn't be under his wrath. And this is what we celebrate. You know, the, the sanctuary is beautiful. Don't you think? Didn't they do a great job? I mean, I love the greening of our sanctuary, the reddening of our sanctuary. It's a beautiful thing. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And, and we sing a song oftentimes. And uh, we've sang it as a hymn. We sing it as a praise chorus. And I'm going to read you some of the words of one of the Christmas songs that we celebrate this very truth. And it goes like this. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. God sent his son during this season we celebrate called Advent, Christmas. He sent his son to bring peace between God and man. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we now have peace with God. Our relationship with God has changed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does this happen? Let me share you one more thing before we move on. How does this happen? It happens through conversion. Many people spend years of their life running from God. Because they want to hide, seemingly, in order to do things that God does not approve of. And many people spend year after year after year running from God to do things that ultimately bring about their own destruction. I'm going to go ahead and say this. You are or were one of those people. Many try to figure out ways to justify their sins rather than realizing it is that very sin that they want to cling to so closely that is destroying them day by day, moment by moment. But Jesus said it like this. He said in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he covered it back up. Then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had so that he could buy the field and acquire the treasure. That is conversion. When rather than running from God to do the things that you know are displeasing to God, you rather do everything you can to get God. How do you know if you're a Christian? Because you want God more than anything else. 
I'm going to say that again. How do you know if you've been converted to Christianity? Because you want Jesus more than anything else. Talk to a Christian. They'll tell you the same thing. Let's move to chapter 6. You have a new relationship to God, which is chapter 5. The beginning of chapter 6, you have a new relationship to sin or the power of sin. Relationships are changing. A new relationship is about to blossom, says P.F. Chang. But let's see what the Word of God says. Chapter 6, beginning of verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The body of sin might be brought to what? Help me out. Nothing. We're going to have a new relationship with this sin so that we would no longer be what? So that we will no longer. So what he's saying that as as a non-believer, your relationship to sin is what? One of slavery. Do you see it? And what do slaves do? Whatever their master tells them to do. As a non-believer, you are subject to the power of sin in your life. You will do Whatever it tells you to do. Verse 7. For one who has died to sin. Has been set free from sin. A new relationship is budding. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus can't die again. For the death he has died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin like Jesus is dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You've been given the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God, you know who that is? It's the Spirit of Christ in you. You you now have a different relationship to sin because, Christian, you have a new master. You don't have to be subject to the power of sin any longer. Those cravings and urgings that used to be so powerful in your life, they don't have dominion over you any longer. And and some may say, yes, but I still wrestle with those old urges and desires. And I'll say, yeah, of course you do. They're still there. But they're not your master. And this is what he says in verse 11. So you must reckon yourselves, consider yourselves. You must believe this fact, think this fact, and know it to be true that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If any of you are battling with sin, 
Maybe you, you feel like you're losing the battle. I believe the Apostle Paul would tell us like this. Do you not know that you are dead to those desires? You don't have to listen to them. You have freedom now in Christ that righteousness is what is better for you. And you have to know that. Look back at verse 5. The new relationship with sin begins with what? What does he say? If we've died with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a what? In a resurrection. You know, we celebrate baptism. Next week, one of our young people is going to be baptized at Westside Church. Many of you will be celebrating with them. We celebrate, and it's more than just getting wet. We celebrate that something new has been born. That it's a new life. And new life doesn't look like old life. It's a different thing. And that's why we celebrate it with the this picture of baptism. And why it's such a great deal to see. Because we remember back at the time, Christians, when we were born into new life and realized sin does not master me any longer. We are set free, says verse 7. The one who has been died, who has died has been set free. There's a new now relationship. And we are to consider ourselves dead. Reckon ourselves. Know ourselves dead to sin. Alright. Um, some of you still may say, yeah, but I still battle. I still wrestle with the power of sin. And, and here's the truth. Christians... All of us sin. I sinned yesterday and the day before and the day before and every day. I fail. So how can this be true that that sin is not my master, but I I fail? And here's what we have to know. It is a process and a struggle that we try to filter out sin regularly. We need to be getting better in our struggle with sin. But here's how we know the spirit of Christ is in us. When we sin, do we stay with that sin? Do we continue in that sin? Do we walk in that sin? Do we embrace that sin? Do we celebrate that sin? No, when we give in as a Christian, we say, yeah, why? Why did I give in to that sin? And we walk away from that. All right. Let me give you some application here. The battle against sin is rooted in presenting yourself to God. You say, where do I get that? I'm going to tell you. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. This is where the battle of sin comes in. You know what? Let me, let me for context, let me read back to verse 12. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Just what we talked about. Watch this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness or weapons for unrighteousness. But present yourselves what? 
Y'all reading with me? About halfway down. But present yourselves to whom? To God. As those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. There's a reason Paul put this here. And it's because the battle against sin begins and is, is, is established in presenting ourselves to God. Some of us don't present ourselves to God and so we just walk through life doing whatever comes our way. And we fill our minds with entertainment and games and fun and all sorts of things that, that become what our life becomes about. Now, that's, that's not what the Christian life is presented by the Apostle Paul. The Christian life presented by the Apostle Paul is you have a life that is kingdom-minded and ought to be about promoting Jesus Christ as the Lord. And while we can be entertained by things, there's nothing wrong with being entertained. When our life is not about presenting our bodies as instruments to God, we get wrapped up in what the world's going to present to us. And, and we become consumers rather than presenters. Do you want to battle sin in your life? Present yourself to God and say, Lord, use me for your purpose. When your life is all about consuming the things around you, no wonder we get in the trouble we get into. Present yourselves to God, Christian. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That is what it means. You have a new life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You are a new believer in Christ. You are a presenter. One more thing and we'll move on. What does it mean to present yourself to God? What does that mean? Is that abstract, obscure to you? Well, I think it does one thing. It, it is making God known. Uh, off and on, my boys and I, we watched through the Heisman ceremony last night. Anybody else watch that? I, I, and I saw about parts of three of the guys talking. All well-spoken, great, look like great guys. Three of the guys, at least, I don't know about four, talked about how their families prayed for them and how they gave, they wanted to honor God in the way they did their lives and such. They took the biggest stage in their lives to this point, and they talked about, uh, Jane Dana specifically, Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord. Now, I'm not affirming all the things these guys do. But I am saying these guys took a platform that they had. They made it about their God and their Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one way. You present your platforms to God. I don't think any of y'all within the Heisman. Not that I know of. But I know y'all have platforms in your family. Y'all have platforms in the community work you do. At the plant, the office. You have a platform. Do you talk about your Lord Jesus Christ? All right. How about some other things? Here, here, I made a list of scriptures. God loves joy. Do you believe this statement? Does God love joy? Does God love joy? He loves 
when his people have joy. In fact, he commanded it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Hey, Christian, have joy for Jesus' sake. Find joy. Look, when I was on our trip, I got to read some books that I've read before and I wanted to go back and reread. And, you know, I, oh, <laughs> it gave me joy reading through these truths of God again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Does God love mercy? Does God love mercy? Jesus said this, if you had not known what this means. And he's quoting the Old Testament. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. How are you showing mercy, Christian? Does God love compassion? Kindness? Humility? Watch this. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You holy and you beloved ones, put on a compassionate heart, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience. Are you you presenting yourselves to be an instrument of humility or of kindness? This is application. All right, church, this is application. Present yourselves to be an instrument of compassion. You've got to figure out what that looks like. But this is what the Christian life is about. Not about seeking our fullest and constant entertainment behind a screen. Or anything else for that matter. God used me to be an agent of kindness, of compassion, of mercy, of joy. All right, I'm moving on. Your relationship to God has changed. Your relationship to sin has changed. Now your relationship to righteousness has changed. Your relationship to righteousness has changed. Romans 6, 17 through 23. Are y'all still with me today? I know this is a lot. Uh, Here we go. But thanks be to God. This word is so good. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Boy, that's powerful, y'all. Hear it. And having been set free from sin, you have become what? Thank you, Belinda. I don't know. Anybody else is reading with me? I'm going to read that again. And having been set free from sin, you become what, church? Help me out. Slaves of righteousness. It's not that you're free to do whatever you want. Freedom in Christ is not, and that's not a true definition of freedom. In this country, that's why we've gotten ourselves into the mess we're in, is because we think, oh, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Freedom is the ability to do what you're supposed to do. And not being bound by rules to not be able to do what you were made to do. You you buy a vehicle. You don't just sit it on the side of the road and leave it there. You have the freedom to drive the car because that's what it was made to do. Christian, you were made to do something. You were made to be a slave of righteousness. Of doing the right thing to reflect and honor your God in heaven. Don't sit on the side of the road doing nothing, collecting rust. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. 
For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. It doesn't get more lawful the more lawlessness that you do. But what Paul is telling us is it does lead to more sanctification the more righteousness we do. What is sanctification? It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. It leads to you becoming more like Jesus the more right things that you choose to do day by day by day. So when you have a difficult family member, treat them righteously. When you have a difficult co-worker, treat them righteously. Back at verse 17, if you will. He said you were once a slave of sin, but now something has happened to you. Somebody help me out. What has happened to you? You've become what? You've become what? Obedient in what way? These are not my words. Y'all check it out. What does it say? You, you become what? Help me. Obedient from the heart. Come on, y'all, wake up. Obedient from the heart. What does the heart do? When the Bible talks about the heart, what is it speaking of? The, The desires, the will. You become obedient because you want to be obedient. This is what Christianity is. This is why you wake up in the morning and you pray. Because somehow when we sleep, we forget everything and our focus gets all around. We wake up and we say, oh, God, help me to do what is right today. Help me not to fuss at my kids or my husband. Help me not to be lazy with the hours that you've given me today. Help me not to be foolish in the media that I consume. Oh, God, focus my heart because I want that focus. That is obedience from the heart. Some of us, we just, we need discipline. Because we just walk through our day thinking whatever happens, happens. Or I've got a schedule and I can't ever deviate from this thing. And we forget that God has made us as an instrument Of righteousness. Our relationship to righteousness has changed. What's the application? All right, let me give it to you. With the same members and with the same passion and with the same zeal that you served yourself and the world around you as a slave to sin... Take that and point it to righteousness. Let me put it like this. Some of y'all were really good sinners. Right? Right? You you sin when you sin. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all were very crafty with your sin. And you could work it out. Plan it. And make it happen. 
Do you have the same zeal and effort in the kingdom of God that you had with your sin? Do you use your crafty mind to honor God in ways that you sought pleasure for your flesh? Think about that. All right. Your relationship to God has changed. Your relationship to sin has changed. Your relationship to righteousness has changed. Your relationship to the law has changed. That is Romans 7. I'm going to be very brief on this one because I want to hit the last one. You have a new relationship to the law. Uh, He uses an analogy of marriage in the first three verses. And he says, do you not know, brothers, that I'm speaking of those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound to her, by law to her husband only while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law for justification Through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another for justification, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You have a new relationship to the code of morality. And it is this you do not acquire salvation or righteousness through what you do, but what's been done for you. And this is. Justification by faith. I don't want to gloss over this. This is a sermon in itself. But let me, let me give you this application. Jesus saves sinners that repent. It's not because sinners do enough good to get to heaven. But Jesus saves sinners that repent. And we know that. We've, we've said it. We say it. The guys the last two weeks said it. It is that there is salvation by Jesus, not by our works. Do you believe? All right, we're going to move to the next one, and that is this. You have a new relationship with the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of life that is in you. And this is Romans 8, and we'll close with this. I read the passage this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you what? Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin and the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now listen. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Dial in right here. For to set the mind on the flesh is death and leads to death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. If you live with your mind set on the spiritual realities, you have life and peace. And you have peace. 
For the non-Christian, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Like I told you earlier, it doesn't want to and it won't. But those who are born again from the heart have obedience to what God's will is. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, you cannot deny it. The Spirit of God, you live in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Look at it this way. You are a soul. You're a soul. And we think about you watch the Titanic and we think about any on a ship. How many souls were died even on a manifesto for a plane? How many souls are on that plane? You are a soul. Soul, a living, an entity who has physical life breathing physical air today. If you live merely by the flesh, he says, then you have merely a physical life. But if you become alive in the spirit, then you have a life that is non-existent in this atmosphere. And you wonder why the devil is called in in Ephesians 2 the the God of this age or the God of this, I think uh, CSB translated like this, of this atmospheric domain. It's the God of physicalness is here. And that's not our God. We live to the God of heaven and earth, the one and only God. And our relationship has changed because we've been breathed into by God to have a spiritual relationship. Life And that life is not set on those things around us. So wrapping all of this message to you together today is this. Are you giving yourselves to the things around you merely? Then you are living physical life alone. Give your instruments to the spiritual life that is in you. Invest your time, your energy, your effort, your thoughts... Into things that matter. Fleshly minded people merely live life to feed the flesh and its desires. But spirit minded people use their flesh to serve God and his kingdom. It's consumer or a giver. I'm either consuming to satisfy my flesh or I'm giving my flesh to invest into the kingdom of God. And our mindset needs to be that of giving it to God. <clears throat> Let me close with Romans 8, 12 through 14. So then, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. John Owen said it like this, be killing sin or what? Sin will be killing you. It is our daily duty, Christian, to put to death sin, to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. And here's your application for all of this. You, how do you put to death the deeds of the flesh? You have greater joy in the Lord. I told you again, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice. You rejoice in what he's done by sending his son to pay your sin debt, to be buried and to rise again. Thank you, Pastor Stephen, for speaking of resurrection. We're thankful for what he has done. But hey, Christian, that's not it. If you only look back, you're only driving on half cylinders. Because what empowers us to go and to sacrifice ourselves in the future is not merely what's been done, but what is coming. In in chapter 8, Paul says it this way. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. What's coming, Christian, is what motivates you to, to sacrifice and give yourself to Christ. Have you done so? Do you know what's coming? The glory of Christ for all eternity. This life of yours is but a breath. It is but a mist that appears and disappears. You have all eternity that will be based on how you live your life today, tomorrow, and the next day. He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously not give us all things? He will give us everything. Trust and find your deepest joys, not in the flesh, but your deepest joys in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Not only what he's done, but what he will do. Father, help us to battle sin. To be killing sin. And Father, give us deeper joys in Christ. Give us greater joy in the spirit and in the kingdom of God. And, oh, Father, draw us to yourselves and give us faith to believe these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.